Well, um, some of you already know this about me because you know me kind of well, spent some time around me, but for those of you that don't, you might learn something new about me here this morning. Um, I'm a bit of an information junkie. Like, I love to learn things. Like, I like information. I like find things interesting. Like, I like talking about ideas with people and discussing stuff. Um, and so, like, I, I, I love, like, just taking that in. I don't get to just, like, read as much as I used to or as I'd like. I find I don't have time to read, but I do a little bit, but then audiobooks and podcasts and YouTube videos. I'm just like, give me all this stuff. And so if you ever run into me and you see, like, I've got my little headset thing on with my earbuds in or whatever, um, there's a 95, maybe even higher than that, percent chance that I'm not actually listening to music. I've probably got a podcast or an audiobook going in my ear. And I love, I just love taking that information in. And you can say, as a, like, as a result of that, as a result of having that information, um, it could be said that I believe a lot of things, right? Like I, I have some beliefs about some things. For example, I, I believe certain things about God, about Christianity, about the Bible, about faith, about church. Um, I believe certain things and learn certain things about like history, culture, society. Um, I believe certain things about my personal life, right? About like habits that are good for me and uh, things that relate to my health or things that relate to uh, my finances or even my marriage and uh, my parenting things. Like, there's lots of things that I, I believe, but here's kind of the catch. All of that information and all of those things that I believe about those various topics don't necessarily make one ounce of difference in my life, right? Because believing doesn't actually change anything. Wouldn't it be nice if it did, though? Like, what, what, what if all we had to do in life was believe stuff for it to be true, right? It's just like, you know what? Um, hey, what if all you had to do is believe the science around health and nutrition and exercise? And you're like, I believe that? And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm in the greatest shape of my life. I'm so healthy and I'm just ripped, right? If just believing it was true, it doesn't work, okay? Because I believe all that stuff and I ain't, all right? Like, that's just, that's just the reality. What if um, all you had to do is believe, like, I, I, the world would honestly, things would be a lot better, because things that are bad for us, we believe generally are bad for us. It's just it doesn't necessarily change anything. I think if just believing made a difference, there wouldn't be things like addiction because we believe it's bad and it destroys lives and it hurts people. But yet, it's like it's not just believing um, that makes a difference. We believe, we believe the light, right things about personal finance or about education or about any of the things that we do, but it's not believing that changes anything. The reality is, is that most of us know the right things to do. Most of us have the information to be like, okay, this is like, this is what will go best for life. This is how things will work out the best. This is how I'll flourish. This is how, this, is, this, this will work out better. I know the things to do. And honestly, if you don't know the things off the top of your head, we like live in like this information age where it's like, I have, I can get the right information. I can Google it, okay? And Google is always reliable. I can just, I can search for the information and have it and I can have the right information. But we don't lack information. We don't lack beliefs. What we, what we lack is the action part. It's not believing that makes a difference. It's doing that makes the difference. Doing is what actually changes things, and that's true in every area of life. Any area of your life, life you step into, it's actually taking action and doing something that makes a difference, and that's actually true in this area of faith as well. And someone who knew that and understood that and taught in that direction was actually the person of Jesus. We're going to explore that in our time together this morning. We're in part two of the series we started last week called Faithful. We're exploring this idea of like, what exactly is faith? Like, how do you, how do you get it? Where does it come from? Um, and specifically, you know, different people in the room and watching online, different uh, kind of parts on a faith journey, like where you're at and where you've been. For some of you, it may be like, like I'm a strong, committed Christian, you know, I'm following Jesus. So what we're trying to unpack is, well, how do, how do we keep it that way? How do we stay healthy in our faith? If you're someone's like, faith's kind of gone stagnant a little bit. 
How do we kind of reinvigorate that? How does that, how does that get growing again? If you're, someone's like, actually, I used to be a person of faith and I've walked away or I'm on my way out the door. Um, maybe this will be a series that's kind of like, well, here's maybe what you should reconsider. Maybe you walked away too soon. And so uh, that's what we're talking about. And we, we started last week by saying like, faith is the thing that Jesus is after. Like what he wants is like big faith. And by faith, we mean trust. We need, we need confidence in him. Not simple like blind belief, not just hope or optimism, but like, Jesus, I trust you. I trust you with everything in my life. And so we're going to start talking today about the first of five things that gets us to that big, strong faith. Um, we said that there are kind of five faith catalysts that, that spur our faith on. Uh, and I also mentioned, if you've been with us since the early days of Hope Community, this is something we talked about in our very first year as a church, um, and we're coming back to it, and it's something we'll probably come back to every so many years like as a church, because it's a good to be reminded of these things. So it's not an original idea. It's actually, these five things aren't even an idea that's original to us. Um, they were originally put together in this form or format with this language, uh, came out of North Point Community Church, um, who we have like a loose affiliation with, some of you are um, aware of that. But even more than that, these five things you'll find throughout the pages of Scripture. And these five things are things that I know my life, and hearing many of your faith stories, these are the five things that just keep showing up. It's like, these are the things that God seems to be using to grow my faith. So first one is today, and that is this idea right here, practical teaching. Practical teaching. Um, practical teaching is, is it's like, it's this weird thing, that, but like every time someone has has shared a little bit of their story, there, there, there's something about faith that causes faith to grow. There's a practicality to it. Now, maybe you wouldn't use the word practical teaching. Maybe you might use it now. But, but what I mean by that is when someone shares their faith story, there's some element of like, okay, I was, I was at a church. I heard, like I was sitting under some teaching or I was in a small group or I was reading the Bible in such a way where I actually understood what it meant. Where I was like, oh, that makes sense. And not only do I understand what was being said, but then I understood what I was supposed to do with it. There's this thing about faith, and there's this thing about the scriptures where it's meant to be an active thing, where I go, okay, like there is, how do I respond to what I've just heard? How do I respond to the way of Jesus, to the message of Jesus? Um, it is an active kind of thing. And sometimes, you know, we were talking about this with our, my small group um, a couple of weeks back. We were talking about, like, how do we view the scripture? And sometimes there's, like, direct application. You're like, okay, it says I should go forgive people. Dang it, that person just popped in my head that I need to go forgive. And it's like, that's the thing I need to go do. But sometimes you read something, you're like, I don't know what to do with that. There's no direct application, and it's just a matter of being shaped by it over time. It's like, how do I respond? Am I becoming a person who is being shaped by the words of Jesus, by the way of the scripture. And, and this kind of active way of viewing the scripture, it comes off in Jesus' invitation to people. Jesus' invitation to people was always an invitation of, hey, come follow me. Come follow me. He showed up, people said, not like, I don't want you to believe some things or behave a certain way, or we'll get to that later, but I want you to come and follow me. It, it, it's, a, it's a faith that's built on a person in a relationship. It's a faith that's active. It's a faith that's going somewhere. It's a faith that, honestly, it's a little bit risky, right? Because he's, like, he's like, follow me. And you're like, where are we going? He's like, I'm not telling you that part. I just want you to follow me. And you're like, come on, but I want to know. It's a dangerous thing. And sometimes because it, it's that way, we've often boiled it down to simply believe in me. Believe in me is a lot easier than follow me. Because I can, like, believe in Jesus and be like, okay, sure, I agree with that, but then stay exactly where I am. And the, the, like the, no, nothing changes in my life. Nothing's challenged in my life. I'm like, I'm cool with the status quo. Don't rock the boat. Give me a little bit of Jesus, but leave me alone other than that. 
right? So we can settle for this believe me kind of faith. And for some of you, maybe this is part of your story. That maybe, you know, you're struggling with faith or like uh, you've walked away for a period of time. And, and I can't tell you how many times I've seen this and had conversations with people where it's like, because the faith they were given was a just believe me faith. And you're like, I believed, but it didn't seem to make any difference. So maybe there's nothing to it. Or sometimes, and we seem to see this more and more, where it's like, it's because of what we've seen in other people. Like, I, I know some Christians, and they were believe in Jesus kind of Christians, where it's like, I, you know, I was, it was a family member or a church that I was a part of or a friend or a coworker, and they said they believed in Jesus, but honestly, they were just jerks, and they were not very loving, and they didn't live out what they said they believed, and so I've decided I don't want anything to do with that. But the good news is, Jesus invites us into a follow me faith, not a believe in me faith. Come and put like every ounce of trust about your life in me. And when we engage with the teachings of Jesus, the teaching of scripture in this way, this kind of practical teaching, like, all right, I, I understand it. How will I respond to it? It's a way of saying, okay, I trust you. I'm following you. I'm not settling for simply believing in you. And this is something that grows our faith. And here's why. Here's why. That when our active faith intersects with God's faithfulness, our faith grows. So we have our active faith, which is like, okay, I'm going to obey, I'm going to do, I'm going to, whatever you're calling me to do, and that intersects with God's faithfulness. And God comes true, and we go, God comes through, and we're like, wow, okay, I can trust him, he's, he's trustworthy. Like, when, when you follow Jesus in an area of life that is hard, that's scary, that's like, oh, I don't know if I can do that, I, wanna, I don't know if I, like, like, there's that thing that rises up in you, and everything inside of you is screaming, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, but then you get like the little, this other little voice that we would say is the Holy Spirit saying, yeah, you need to do it, you need to do it, and you're like, but I don't want to, when you actually follow through on that, and on the other side of that, God does something, it causes your faith to just explode. Whenever you engage in the teaching of the scripture and you read something about like forgiveness and like that name pops into your mind, you're like, no, everything in me does not want to go forgive that person. But on the other side of doing it, God does something in your faith. Where, where there's, there's a teaching in scripture that says serving and all of a sudden something pops into your head. You're like, oh, there's this thing that's been in my heart, this area I need to serve in. And I've been resisting it and resisting it, but God's pushing me to do it because he said to be a servant and to serve other people and I go and do it. There's something on the other side of that that makes my faith come alive. Well, there's something, you're reading something about generosity, and you're like, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to give, and then all of a sudden I do it, and I'm like, okay, God, there's a trust that is built there. We follow Jesus in this area, it's scary, but our faith grows. It causes our faith to be worked like a muscle, right, where it gets bigger and bigger over time, and this trust grows. And remember, the last time we were together, we said that, uh, that, that trust is the currency of any great relationship. Any great relationship is built upon trust. And, and, and living out the, the teaching of Scripture, this obedience to God demonstrates our trust in Him, and it provides an opportunity for Him to demonstrate His trustworthiness to us. And so we get stuck in this cycle. It's trust and trustworthiness. It's a good cycle to be in trust and God's trustworthiness. We trust in His trustworthiness, and our faith grows and grows and grows. We see this play out um, in the teachings of Jesus. And one place in particular uh, is this thing called the Sermon on the Mount. It's like Jesus' most famous teaching. Uh, maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't. We're going to kind of talk about it a little bit this morning. Um, and, and we kind of refer to it as Jesus' kingdom manifesto because it's like if you were to give like, Jesus, I need the instruction manual on the kingdom of God. What does it look like? It's like turn to the Sermon on the Mount. This is what the kingdom looks like. This is a message that's recorded in Matthew's gospel. Luke also records a version of it. Um, and this is actually more than likely something that Jesus didn't just teach once or twice, that these were the things that he continually taught when he went from village to village to village, that it, it encapsulates the overarching uh, message of Jesus' ministry. That, that if you were to put one phrase, one idea on everything that Jesus did, everything he said, everything he taught, it would be the kingdom of God is here. 
He taught a lot of other things. He taught about uh, sin and forgiveness and loving people and, and serving people. He taught, uh, taught about a little bit about heaven and hell and generosity, all these different things. But all of that was under the main thrust of the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God is breaking into the present in the person of Jesus. And so everything he did was about the kingdom. But then the Sermon on the Mount becomes like this, like, it's like the kingdom concentrated. It's just like thing after thing. And it, it displays an upside down ethic to the kingdom of God. The way that the world works around us and the way power and systems and structures and how just normal life goes, like the kingdom of God comes along and says, I'm going to take all of that and flip it on its head. It was countercultural. It was upside down. It was so different. And as a result of that, to live it out and to do it would require extreme confidence in who God was. It's within this Sermon on the Mount that we hear Jesus teaching about things like, hey, turn the other cheek. Pray for your enemies. Go the extra mile. Where he, he gets into this little repetition, this little series of, hey, you, you've heard it said, but I tell you. So he's like, hey, you, you, know, you, you heard it said to not, be, not to murder people. And he's like, but I'm actually telling you, don't even be angry. Don't even be hateful. Don't even hold bitterness towards other people because you've already murdered them in your heart. And it's about the condition of your heart. You know, you've heard it said, he said, don't, don't commit adultery, but I'm telling you, don't even look at someone lustfully because that, that's, that's using them and objectifying them for your own self-gratification, and so you've already committed adultery in your heart. He comes along and says things like, don't worry about your basic human needs, food, clothing. You're like, I don't know, I'm kind of worried about that. He's like, trust God for those things. It's in the Sermon on the Mount that he says, be extremely generous without recognition. Forgive others. In fact, he goes so far with the forgiving of others. He says, you actually can't be right with your Father in heaven if you have, if there's something between you and another person. So go make that right first. It's in the Sermon on the Mount where uh, he doesn't actually tell us not, not to judge people. He says, use wisdom in how you do it. He's like, hey, if your brother you know, has like a little a speck of sawdust in his eye, it's okay to tell him, hey, you got a speck of sawdust, but make sure you get the two by four out of your eye first, okay? Like, don't be a hypocrite about it. Like, take care of what you, your junk, and then you'll be able to see clearly to help and to love other people. It's all of these teachings are, that are extremely, like, it's, it's kind of a, like a, a punch in the gut, and it's like, ow, Jesus. And one of the things that's so difficult about it is they're, like, they're terrifyingly practical, there's like not really confusion, like, oh, I don't really know what he means here when he says forgive your enemies. I'm like, no, I think I know what he means when he says forgive your enemies. I just don't want to do it. It's so, so practical. And, and then he gets to the end of the whole sermon and to really drive home the, hey, the, the kind of the, the practical nature of it, the, there's a response that he wants to elicit from us. He tells this little story, this little parable. Uh, and it's pretty famous. And again, we're going to look at it here this morning. And um, it, it, it wraps the thing up. So this is Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24. Jesus says, therefore, so in light of everything that I've been teaching you and telling you and talking about as it relates to this Sermon on the Mount, all these things, therefore, in light of all of that, everyone who hears these words of mine, we're going to tuck away that idea of hears because it's going to come back a couple times. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them. Everyone who hears, okay, I'm hearing what you're saying, Jesus, and I'm doing something about it. I'm responding to it. That person is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So the person who hears Jesus and doesn't just agree with him, doesn't, uh, doesn't like believe him, doesn't say, that's good, Jesus, that's true, I agree with you, I'm convicted by that. No, the person hears and then does something with what they hear. He says, I'm like a wise person. This is the difference between wisdom and, and knowledge or wisdom and information. Knowledge is, I hear you, I've got the information, I believe some things. Wisdom is... Now, what am I going to do with it? W wisdom is, um, it is applied 
information. Wisdom is evaluated and applied information and experience. I've learned some things. I've experienced some things. Now what am I going to do and what changes am I going to make as a result of that? Wisdom tells me that what I'm doing now and the decisions I'm making now have a trickle-down effect and they're going to affect my tomorrow and my future. And so what am I going to do? He says, anyone who hears and acts on my words is a wise person who built his house on the rock. And so he's, he's having this picture of like uh, our, our lives and Jesus' teaching. He's given this picture of someone building a house. He's like, the wise person builds on a rock. And, and sometimes I think we may brush past that part about uh, building on a rock. If you've ever tried to like dig through a rock or build on rock, it's hard. It's a lot. Okay, that wasn't supposed to be a pun, but it kind of was. It's hard. Ha <laughs> rock is hard. Okay. Um, like, but it is. Like, it's a lot more difficult to dig through rock right? It's a lot more time-consuming. It's a lot more costly. It's a lot more painful. It draws out the time that you thought your project was going to take. If anybody in here has ever dug a hole and you hit a layer of rock, right, and you're like, come on, and you're getting the, the spud bar out, and you're like trying to break through it. I'm getting the mattock out, and there's, you know, words being said, usually not out loud, but sometimes, and you're just like, I can't. It is a lot harder to dig through rock, and he's like, yeah, that's what it's like to, to establish your foundation on this rock. It's going to cost you it's going to be more difficult. And it's like the wisest thing that you can do, the wisest thing you can do is live out what I'm instructing you, even though it'll be hard, even though it'll cost you, even though it might be more time consuming and you're, you're playing the long game and not the short game, but it will be rewarding. Because he goes on and, and kind of in this word picture displays the reward. He says, of this, this person that built this house on the foundation, the rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded the house, and yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. And so his audience would have understood this, that like a flash flood would come up, a huge storm would come through, and, and the winds would be blowing, and the river would be rolling through there. The thing that, that separated complete and utter devastation and surviving was what's your foundation look like? The, and even though the, like the rock was the foundation that cost you, it was difficult, it took forever, it was uncomfortable, you wish you didn't have to, when the storm came, it was the thing that you were the most grateful for. It's like, that's what it's like to build your life on what I'm teaching you. So he gives the positive example. And then he flips it and gives the negative example. And so he sets it up the same way. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act, so compared to the first guy heard and acted, this guy hears and doesn't act, they will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Same scenario, different responses, and vastly different outcomes. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed, and it collapsed with a great crash. And so we have this picture, right? Jesus preaches this sermon, and everyone's like, whoa, this is crazy, all these things he's teaching, it's so upside down, it's so different, and he ends it by giving these two scenarios, two different people, he says, which one are you going to be? Two builders, they have exactly one thing in common, and they have exactly one thing different between the two of them. And it's the one thing that's different between the two of them that makes the, all the difference in the world. Both of them hear Jesus. And, and more specifically, and it actually kind of makes his point uh, a little bit more cutting, a little bit more like you're stepping on my toes a little bit, Jesus. More specifically, that, that, that verb for hear, they both hear Jesus, it's, it's present and it's active. Meaning that like the most literal reading of it is a little clunky in English, but the idea is that they keep on hearing Jesus. The one who keeps on hearing my words is, is really like the literalness of that. So it, it implies I didn't just hear him once and go, wow, that was good, or no, I didn't like it. 
right? It's not a one and done kind of thing. It's not that one person heard Jesus and was like, I agree with this, so I'm going to kind of stick with it and do it. And the other person heard it and goes, I don't agree with this, so it's not for me. They both keep on hearing over the long haul. That's the thing that they have in common. And then there's the thing they have that's different between the two of them. One acts and one doesn't act. And as the same thing with, with hearing, the verb tense is present and it's active, meaning like the literal reading would be um, that the one, one keeps on hearing what Jesus says and he keeps on doing, and the other keeps on hearing and keeps on not doing. One keeps on doing, keeps on responding, keeps on acting, keeps on living it out, keeps on letting it shape them, and the other keeps on not doing all those things. I'm not going to repeat them all again, right? It's a continual thing that's going on and on and on. And so it's not that, okay, I'm hearing Jesus, I heard what he said, and I did it once. It's, no, I'm going to keep on doing this. And it's not, I, I, I keep uh, on hearing Jesus and not acting on it. it isn't, oh, I slipped up once because we're all going to slip up. We're all going to sometimes not do what Jesus is calling us to do, and that's where the, the beauty of his grace and his mercy and his love come in. But it's this posture. Are we people that we're hearing what Jesus is saying, and we have this posture of I'm letting it shape me, and I'm doing this, and I'm living this, and I'm changing because of this. I'm finding ways to let the way and the words of Jesus shape and mold who I am and what I'm doing with my life. The one who lives a life of continually hearing Jesus' words and continually putting them into practice is a wise person. The one who lives a life of continually hearing Jesus' words and continually not putting them into practice is a fool on the path to destruction. And as I was working through that, it kind of made me sit up straight a little bit and go, you know, that's a little, that's a little scary for, for me. It's a little scary for those of us who are like, I'm a Christian. Because it's the one who keeps on hearing. There's this idea, for the, if you're like a regular church person, a Christian, a person of faith, like it's actually possible to hear and to believe, and to read our Bibles, and to attend church every single week, and to sit in church and go, mmm, amen, amen, that's good, Pastor Phil, preach it. Okay, none of you do that. I mean, I'd be okay if you do. Like, just no, nobody's just done it yet. Um, but it's possible to do all of those things, and then go and live a life that completely undermines our faith. And then to think, like, I'm good. I'm good. I believe the right stuff. And we can actually fool ourselves or trick ourselves or deceive ourselves. And that's, uh, there's a, another author um, in scripture that brings this idea up. This idea actually runs throughout scripture that we're going to see. But uh, James, a little bit later in the New Testament, comes back to this idea and he's even more direct with it. So James is the half-brother of Jesus, Jesus' little brother. Same mom, Mary, different dad, you know, Jesus has the whole God is my dad thing going for him. Um, but, but James becomes a leader in the early church and he writes a letter. We call it the book of James. Um, and he gets at this idea of what Jesus taught. So this is in James chapter 1. He says, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And so he's like, hey, there's this word, this word of God, the scripture, the message of God fulfilled in Jesus. Um, he's, he's speaking primarily, his audience would be a, a lot of Jewish believers. And so it's like, they've got this thing we called the Old Testament. He's like, this was a story that was leading us to Jesus. And so you need to humbly, like there's a posture of humility, not being all puffed up and arrogant, but like humbly receiving it, um, and it will actually save you. That is that the scripture is meant to reveal our sin to us, to go, you know, I've, I've got some issues. I don't have it all together. I'm kind of messed up. And it's about to reveal that I can't fix myself, but here's the great news. God sent Jesus to pay for my sin, to give me the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so he's like, you, you receive that, so it saves you. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop at just the receiving where we want to stop sometimes. 
He says, but, because I know what you're going to think. You think it's just about hearing, but be doers. Do something with it. Act on it. Live it. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I mean, because we can get to this point, and the reason I know we can get to this point is because I've spent seasons of my life in this point. I'm a Christian. I believe all the right things. I'm good, but I'm like, does it affect my marriage? Does it affect my parenting? Does it affect the kind of friend I am? Does it affect my thoughts and my actions, my words towards people? Nope. And in those seasons, that's me deceiving myself, right? He's like, you got you to you hear it, and you got you to do it. You got to live it out. And then he gives a cool illustration about Amir, but sorry, we don't have time for it this morning, so we're going to jump past it and get to his kind of conclusion. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law, so talking about the word, talking about the scriptures, who looks into the perfect law of freedom, this isn't the message, but it's a little aside, but the message of Jesus, that Christ, the Christian faith is meant to be freeing. And if you've been handed a version or embraced a version of Christianity that doesn't feel like freedom, it might be the wrong version that Jesus offers us freedom, who, who is given the perfect, who looks into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it. So here James is carrying that same idea that, that, that Jesus was in this parable, continual. It's a continual thing. It's an ongoing thing. Um, and who is not forgetful, a forgetful hearer, but a doer. And again, it's bad in English, but this is like the, the verb tense. James' command is literally, keep on becoming doers of God's word. That's a mouthful. He's like, those of you that keep on becoming doers, like how do you keep on becoming? Exactly. It's, it's a process, right? You keep on becoming doers of God's word. That person will be blessed in what he does. And so we got Jesus going, hey, don't just hear my words, put them into practice, and you'll build a solid foundation for your life. We got James going, hey, don't just hear the words, but do them, act on them, and you'll be blessed um, in what you do. It was actually interesting. This, this kind of timed up perfectly or matched up perfectly with what we're talking about with our students as well. Wednesday nights um, with our, our middle school and high school gathering, we're in a series talking about wisdom. And what does it mean to live with wisdom? And this, this past Wednesday, we looked at Proverbs uh, 3, um, verses 5 through 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't rely on your own understanding, but in all of your ways submit to him, and he'll make your path straight. And it's like, man, this is that same idea, all the way back in the wisdom of Proverbs, saying trust and submit to God. Like, look at the law, look at his word, and do it, and he'll make your path straight. So from the Old Testament, which points to Jesus, to Jesus showing up saying the kingdom is here and here's what it looks like, to James reflecting back on Jesus saying, hey, if you're going to follow him, this is what it's about. We get this message over and over. Submit to God. He'll make your path straight. Apply my words. And it's like you building your house, on a, your life and your house on a solid foundation. Be doers, not just hearers, and you'll live a blessed life. That something happens in our lives that, that leads to us living the good life, the blessed life, the life in, in God's will and plans whenever we take what he says and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going I'm to live this out and act on it. And when we do that, we see our faith growing. Our faith grows. We see our faith intersecting with God's faithfulness. Okay, God, I'm trusting you. I'm, I'm not all the way there yet, but I know you're telling me to do this, and so I'm going to try doing this. And then I do it, and I experience the blessed life the good life, even though it's hard, even though it's difficult, we go, okay, God, you are so, so faithful. My faith grows, and it gets bigger, and I do that time after time after time after time because faith is like a muscle. When you continue to work it, it grows. And when you don't, it shrinks. It atrophies is the word, right? It withers away. It dies. And the reality is, with it being like a muscle, when you start to work it, it hurts 
okay. Like, I started working out again, like, because new year, new habits is going to be great. I couldn't walk for a couple days, you guys. I'm like, it hurts. Why? Because those legs were withering away. I was like, <laughs> right? If you've been there, you know, right? Or if, you know, spent Saturday splitting wood. And you're sore today. I'm not picking on anybody in particular in the room, but I know somebody was. Um, it's like, oh, it hurts. And the same thing is true of our faith. When you, if, if this is like, okay, I'm going to start doing this, let me just tell you, it's going to be hard. And there's going to be moments where like, I want to quit, and this stinks, but man, just push through that because we'll see our faith intersect with God's faithfulness, and our faith starts to grow, and it gets healthier, and it gets stronger. But when we don't, it dies. And we choose to just believe things, not do the hard work of letting it shape us. We miss out on opportunities. We miss out on the opportunity to connect with our Heavenly Father. We miss out on the opportunity to see our faith grow. And our Father in heaven, who is good and who is perfect and who is loving, wants so much more for us than that. He wants to see us thriving and growing and in relationship with Him for the simple reason, as simple as it is, it never gets old and we shouldn't ever let it get old to us, the simple reason that He loves us. That's the very reason that he came. It's the reason Jesus walked the earth. It's why he, he came to the earth. He taught, the reason he healed, the reason that he did miracles, the reason ultimately that he died and he rose was because he loves you. He wants you and he wants me to experience what he calls the abundant life, life to the fullest, the life that is truly life. And that's a kind of life that only comes in relationship with him. It's a life that only comes through faith, through trust, through confidence in who he is, and what he's done. And one of the ways that we can kind of partner with God, because there's this dynamic that goes on, this whole thing. It's like, it's him doing it. It's him growing us. It's him saving us. And, but yet we come alongside and do some of it as well, where our faith intersects with that. One of the ways that happens is through this idea of practical teaching, of saying, okay, I want to get myself in an environment, in a church, in a, in a community group, the way that I open up the scriptures myself, where I am understanding what this says, where I can like find myself a good you know, co commentary and study Bibles or YouTube videos, the Bible Project's awesome, whatever it is, I understand this and I know what I need to do in response to this. When we get ourselves in those places, our faith continues to grow. So I want to wrap things up um, with a quote about kind of this idea and specifically the Sermon on the Mount. This is a quote from uh, John Stott, who was a biblical scholar and he wrote several commentaries and this is his commentary on... Um, uh, Matthew's gospel, specifically the section on the Sermon on the Mount. So Stott writes this. The ultimate issue posed by the whole sermon, so the entire Sermon on the Mount, concerns the authority of the preacher. Talking about Jesus, not somebody like me. Um, the authority of the preacher, it's not enough either to call him Lord or to listen to his teaching. The basic question is whether we mean what we say when we call him Lord and do what we hear his teaching. On this commitment hangs our eternal destiny. Only the man who obeys Christ as Lord is wise. For only he is building his house on a foundation of rock, which the storms neither of adversity nor of judgment will be able to undermine. The crowds were astonished by the authority with which Jesus taught. And it is an authority to which the followers of Jesus in every generation must submit. The issue of the lordship of Christ is as relevant today, both in principle and in detailed application, as when he originally preached his sermon on the mount. As a group of people, as a church, as, as followers of Jesus, let's not be content to just be people who believe true things or people who just, uh, you know, say, I'm, I'm, the, the truth, the truth, are you about, I'm about the truth. Let's not be people who just stop there. 
but let's be people that actually live out what we believe and say, nope, there is truth and there are true things and we believe that Jesus is the truth, but now I'm going to live in response to that. Let's be not Jesus believers, but Jesus followers. Let's pray. God, we thank you um, that we even have the invitation to follow you. Uh, Jesus, because of what you've done, because of your life, death, and resurrection, you have extended that invitation to us to come and follow me. Come be forgiven of your sin, be freed of those things, be filled with my spirit and follow me. We thank you and we praise you for that. Uh, We thank you that you have ushered in the kingdom that has come crashing into our reality. I pray that we would be the kind of people uh, that live as citizens of that kingdom, not of the world around us. And I pray that we would be people with a big and bold and active faith, that we would live out what we believe, that we would live out the things that we hear and what you're, what you're teaching us and what you're showing us. And so God, I pray through the power of your spirit um, that you would give us wisdom, wisdom to know what to do with uh, the things that we've heard today, the things that you're revealing to us in your word and through conversations. God, I pray you give us just the wisdom to discern those things and the courage, the endurance, the boldness to actually do them. And we trust that when we do that, we will experience more and more of your faithfulness. I praise in Jesus' name. Amen.